Welcome to the Running Hooks Basketball Power Hour with your host and founder, Alex Burr. Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Running Hooks Basketball Power Hour. It has been a hot minute. (laughs) I don't believe I've recorded since the conference finals of last season. Um, JD and I have had some scheduling issues, and then I got a lot busier at my job. Um, Fall sports are ending, and winter sports will be a lot easier on my workload for my other job as a journalist at the Times Northwest Indiana. So I want to, um, you know, if you have some time, I think I've written some pretty cool articles for them. I'd like to plug those. Um, but this is a basketball, a pro basketball podcast. So, um, I do want to, uh, just say some things. Um, JD is having some issues with his computer. I wanted to try to work out a return with him, but until he gets a new computer, it's just not going to be feasible. Um, I know he was on the, over under especially did on back shoulder fade a couple weeks ago and that kind of gave me a little bit of hope that we could work something out um not to say that it won't work out in the future but until he gets his computer fixed i will be flying solo with hopefully some um sojourns in from dylan hughes i'm trying to get him on for next week's show um hopefully um we can get that situated but you know we it's going to be fun to be back on the air. Um, I'm also going to be changing some things about the format. Three teams just isn't feasible at this point for me. Well, let me just say, I will be doing three teams every week, <laughs> but I'll get to that in a second. Um, I will not be doing three separate teams each week. I will be doing one team the same every week, but I will not be watching as many games either due to work um, schedule constraints. I will be watching at most probably six games a week, which is still a lot. Um, frankly, so I will be trying to consume as much NBA content as possible, but also, you know, trying to maintain a work life podcast balance, um, (laughs) as much as one can, you know, working a lot and also, you know, trying your best to, to maintain an edge grinding all this NBA tape. But with that said, um, you have an announcement that uh, this season if you listen to last night's back shoulder fade, um, I will be a Knicks fan this season. Caleb Lynn spun the wheel. Zach Griffith is Zach Griffith is his witness and God. Um, I will be a Knicks fan this season. Forced to follow the team that made me and Dylan Hughes when I got dry balls out the last couple seasons. It will be an experience. I actually one of the things I will be discussing will be um, the Knicks Celtics game from last night because I watched that game and I have. <laughs> several thoughts um because i will be taking my own i have not been a fan of nba team since i'll be honest i was a bulls fan in name only by 2017 i'd really stopped caring for them the last bulls team i think i really really cared about because i was pissed off at them in 2016 they were really bad and 2015 i think was the last time i was like really really enjoying the experience of being a bulls fan so this will be an interesting experiment as I go through this Knicks season, Knicks fans really like I follow a good amount of Knicks fans on Twitter. And so it's interesting to see how they react to this team. Um, and I can kind of see why it's frustrating. That being said, they still almost won <laughs> last night. Um, and the other part of that announcement is that Caleb Lynn will um, be joining us. I think we're going to set it for monthly. 
and he's going to be breaking down the jazz with us. So um, part of what I'm going to be doing this year, I'm not going to be choosing the teams myself because let's face it, part of the fun of choosing the teams was that I was going to be doing it with JD or Dylan. And since I'm not guaranteed to have either of them for the full season, I will not be doing that myself. I will be doing the wheel. Um, and I'm going to keep it that way. Once I get JD back, I'm going to guarantee at some point I will have JD back. Um, it's just a question of when, not if, and then also at some point I'm probably going to have more of Dylan as well too. I'm, I'm guessing, um, Dylan will be joining us as much as he can, I'll say. So I think that's going to be fun to monitor, um, going forward. And I took the jazz and the Knicks off the wheel (laughs) because since Caleb and I, Caleb will be monitoring the Jazz more for back shoulder fade purposes, but still, um, since you know we can use this content for all of our platforms, might as well, right? Um, and then Caleb and I talked about it. We we have a tentative idea, nothing set in stone yet. But once um, this is more for back shoulder fade purposes. But once you know, because Thursday night football is going to end in about oh, we're on week eight. It's going to end in about nine weeks. <laughs> So you're going to need a parlay to bet on. Why not get a Knicks Pacers Jazz parlay? Um, so that's that's an idea we floated. But it's, it's not set in stone yet. But um, with that, um, we need to spin the wheel. So let's go ahead and spin the wheel um, now that I mentioned it. So I'm sure people are hearing the little spinning sound effect. Um, it's good that I'm not wearing headphones for this. Um, so the, our first team is the Orlando Magic. Um, Franz Wagner and Paolo Bencaro, very exciting. Also very on brand for the Power Hour. I hope they're playing the Knicks this week. Two for one. Let's see. So let's go ahead and take the magic off of the wheel. There we go. So that way I don't get them twice. And now our second spin of the wheel. Okay. And we get the reigning Eastern Conference champion, Miami Heat. You know what? Let's um let's spin it one more time. I don't want to do two East teams. I don't want to start off the bat with two East teams. So I, I know I I usually honor the integrity of the wheel, but I want to go one more time. Let's see if I get a West team. If I, if I I since I'm the host of this podcast, I reserve the right to. Nope, I got the Hornets. Okay, so <laughs> unfortunately, it appears I have made the situation worse for myself. Um, that is actually hilarious. Um, so we are going to be doing the, (laughs) um, the magic and the Hornets for next week's pod. In addition to the, um, in addition to a Knicks segment. So those are the teams for next week, the Hornets and the magic. That's (laughs) wow. Um, that kind of backfired on me there, didn't it? Oh, I'll shoot. (laughs) I want to say, you know, since we didn't get a chance to finish talking about them, and I believe we were talking about the Western conference in last year's playoffs. Um, holy smokes, Jokic, just what an absolute career defining performance. And I mean, there's really been so much that I've missed, you know, I miss Bradley Beal discussions um you probably if you were listening to back shoulder fade you probably heard me monologue about the damian lillard to the um to the bucks trade but you and you also probably heard me and zach talk about the drew holiday to the celtics trade there's just been so much activity going on in the league i think that there's this year is going to be a lot of fun 
Um, another thing I also kind of want to touch on a little bit, I'm not going to spend too much time on it because <laughs> I'm probably not going to approach it from the angle that everyone else is going to approach it from. I want to talk about last night's Mavericks Spurs game as well. Um, I found that one really fascinating for a lot of reasons. Actually, let's go ahead and start there. Okay. So the Mavericks one, I'm going to pull up the box where I believe it was 126, 119. I could be wrong. I'm willing to accept the possibility, but I'm pretty sure it was 126, 119. So let's see. Scores, scores. Um, Mavericks, Spurs, I probably should. Yeah, 126, 119. Luca had 33 points. I'm pretty sure he had a triple double. <laughs> Luca had 33, 13 rebounds, 10 assists. Um, he was spectacular. And I think part of what made him spectacular was Derek Lively. Derek Lively finished with 16 and 10 and a block off the bench. And his presence on both sides of the ball, I thought, really changed the game. Now, it's rare that a rookie center comes in, right, and is very impactful. But this guy, especially last year at Duke, he did not come in. He was not good, right? He was not. I'm trying to find the right way to phrase this. He started very slowly last year at Duke. Very, very slowly. But then as you watch more of the games, I was, you could ask Caleb, I was all in on Lively by the time the season ended. And it was a sight to behold <laughs> last night watching. Now the Spurs defense, um, let's say, left a lot to be desired. Collins was pretty good, but at the same time, you know, I think he had, what, he had two blocks that f- feels lower than what he actually had. But he's not a true rim deterrent, right? And Luca was doing a great job. Luca does that thing really well where he seals off his man um, with his butt <laughs> on the pick and roll. And the roll man or the roll defender is trying to defend the roller from the lob. And it opened up, I thought, so much for Luca. I really think drafting Lively is better for Luca than it even will be for Luca or for Lively. It's going to make so much of an impact because it's going to open up the lane. The shooters were wide open. What did the Mavs shoot from three last night? They shot 15 of 47, which felt low, but in, I, in the second half, it had to have been higher. No, only 8 for 28. Okay. Um, I guess I was wrong, but it felt like the Mavs were wide open every time. Those, those looks are going to go down. They're too good of shooters not to shoot better as the season goes along. Um, Kyrie was particularly bad from three last night. I did not think he was awful in the game, but I didn't think it was good. Um, a lot of the positive stretches that the Mavs had came without Kyrie on the floor, but also Kyrie hit a massive three down the stretch. Um, there was one play. I, I thought he was particularly masterful in the mid range. You could just see, you know, him opening things up as a secondary score for them. <clears throat> I'm still not bullish on the Mavs. I don't think they'll hit the over, but if lively opens things that up this much for Luca and makes his life that much easier on offense, then it could be real dangerous for the rest of the league. Because <clears throat> I was texting with Caleb last night. And I told him, I told him, I thought, like, hey, Lively turned that game around. He's like, I don't think one player can just do that. I was like, but you don't understand. It opened up things for Luca in that Luca in the second half, I thought. I think Luca was pretty even <laughs> distribution scoring wise both halves. But it just looked easier in the second half. Seven for 12 from the field, two of six from three. Um, only three free throw attempts, but it just felt easy. You know, he had a couple of lobs to Lively and Lively had 12 and seven in the second half. 
um, RJ and JJ on this, the broadcast, I should say Richard Jefferson, were both saying it's like, man, <laughs> I think Richard Jefferson at one point said, if they redid the 2023 draft, would Lively go over <laughs> Weminyama? And is a funny joke. Obviously, he would not. But he played tremendously, showed why he got a lot of hype coming out of Duke. And then Wembenyama had an interesting game as well. Um, let's just say that. He was 6 for 9 with 15 points. And he had 5 fouls, 1 block, 5 rebounds. Um, I'm going to be honest. It felt like he was pretty passive for most of that game. And it didn't like there was a stretch in the fourth quarter there where he started calling his own number and he got the ball on the wing. He got the ball at the three point line, cash a three. I think it was with lively in his face. Um, got the ball in the wing. He was making stuff happen in the fourth quarter In the fourth quarter. He had, let's see, nine points leading scorer for the Spurs in the fourth quarter. I just, you know, and leading shot attempt or two with five shots tied with Kelvin Johnson. Vassell was awesome in this game. Kelvin was awesome. Um, awesome in this game. I'm going to be honest, though. If this guy can get shots like that, you need him to get at least 15 shots up. You can't have him be uh, stand on the wing. Oh, I'll just wait for my turn. No, you need him to be aggressive. And I understand, you know, maybe it's a him being deferential thing. Maybe it's a coaching thing. I think we'll find out in the next 10 games. Also, him being in foul trouble, I'm sure did not help because he did was the final minute count. I don't think it was a whole lot because he was in foul trouble a good majority of the game. So the final minute count was 23 minutes and 19 seconds. So he probably gets up more shots if he plays more than 23 minutes, which I'm guessing he probably will. I'm guessing, you know, ideally we'll probably get to around 28 minutes a game, Um, hopefully 30. But Again, I thought Vassell was awesome in that game. You know, he got a massive contract extension. Everyone's like, what? Why is this guy getting this extension? And I thought he really kicked ass and took names last night. Um, Keldon Johnson was pretty good, too. Sohan inexplicably started at point guard. (laughs) Um, 13 points, 8 rebounds, 5 assists, 2 of 4 from 3. Hey, if he can shoot threes now, watch out, because that guy... That guy's good. And if he can shoot threes, then I think it's going to be dangerous for the rest of the league. Now, he was playing a little out of control last night. So he had a couple charges. I don't they're not like, oh, bad passing turnovers. He had because he had three turnovers. I'm sure a couple of those were charges. Um, I don't know if charges actually count as turnovers, but they in my book, they're tur- basically turnovers. Um, You need to get. You could see, let me just say, you could see the pieces for the Spurs team. You could see them being a playoff team maybe in a year or two. I think if you were going to make the case for them being a playoff team this year, they beat the Spurs last night. I know it's early in the season, but this is the healthiest your team is going to be all year. Just realistically speaking, because Vassell's missed a ton of games. Um, Kelton's been pretty healthy through the course of his career, but Sohan missed like 25 games last year, conservatively speaking. Um... So I think you build your foundation this year. 
Hopefully you luck into another top five pick. The history says you probably won't. Um, and then you see what you have from there. You know, try to upgrade on that point guard spot, hopefully, <laughs> where you don't have Sohan playing point guard. And then, you know, you go from there. Um, let's go ahead and talk about the game that my fellow Knicks fans probably hated more than anything. And that's former Nick, one of my favorite Knicks of all time, Chris Depp Porzingis. <laughs> um, going into the garden, absolutely dominating things. He had two real dominant quarters. He was real dominant in the first and fourth quarter. Um, Tatum had 34, and the Celtics beat the Knicks 108-104. I think the thing that stood out to me was that the Knicks, you know, watching as a person who cared more about the Knicks than the Celtics in this game, although, holy cow, Jason Tatum, um, showing why he is one of the top players in the league. He just is incredible at this point. I mean... So 10 for 14 from two, (laughs) just getting whatever he wanted inside the arc. Um, just, yeah, I don't know what you could say about him. I think I have him, I'm going to get to my awards later. I have him as one of my favorites for MVP. I think it's going to be pretty intense to watch, but I think something that was pretty noticeable early on. And one of the reasons why the Celtic, why Chris Dapps came out and dominated, he had 15 points in the first quarter. And it's because he was pulling Mitchell Robinson. I love Mitchell Robinson. I think he's a great center. But he was pulling Mitchell Robinson away from the rim. It's, it was like watching Pero Antich against Roy Hibbert back in the day. But you wouldn't compare Chris. Like, it's not fair to compare Chris Stapps to Pero Antich. It's not confa- fair to compare Mitchell Robinson to Roy Hibbert. I think they're both better versions of those players. But it was like watching that. And, you know, there was one play, too, where... Robinson was at the elbow for some reason. I don't know why um, the ball handler had his man contained. And Robinson was all the way at the elbow. Chris Stapps was in the corner. <laughs> Chris Stapps hits Robinson with a slick baseline cut wide open for a dunk. I was like, why are you up that high? Why are you not guarding? Why are you not on the baseline? But that was, you know, those kind of small mistakes, those kind of small defensive mistakes are like, you know, one thing. But then there was another play where Randall, Randall somehow in this game kept getting switched onto. I'm going to say either switched onto or his primary assignment was Brown or Tatum. And he just kept getting lost out there. And I don't know. You know, I'm not the biggest Randall guy. I'm not going to act like I have been. I'm going to try to be more supportive. One of my big problems with this team is my belief in this system is you can't play a traditional four at the four spot anymore. I just don't think it works. And as much as Julius Randle has improved his game, he is a traditional four at the end of the day. He can't guard Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown. He just can't. And there was one play where he got screened um, by Porzingis. And it was a two-on-one. And Mitchell Robinson just is, it's that classic thing, right? It's what they always teach you in the fundamentals of basketball, right? Where if you run a pick and roll, your defender has to make a choice <laughs> except Jalen Brown was inside the three point line. Randall was like there with his hand on his hips and Mitchell Robinson was at the elbow <laughs> and Borzingas was beneath him. Of course, you're going to get the wide open dunk every single time. So it's just those small things that I see from them. I want to see, you know, obviously I don't think Randall's a bad defensive player. I think he's gotten a lot better since he, you know, was on the Lakers or when he was on the Pelicans. But I think 
that kind of stuff is not good. And it was a lot of that, like a lot of there was one play where Tatum blew by Grimes. Grimes was his primary that uh, that night. And he had Randall. Randall was his one man to beat one dribble, one power dribble, easy dunk. Randall didn't even slide his feet, try to get his hands up. Just like you can't have that kind of stuff. That like one of those mistakes is one thing, right? You can live with one of those mistakes, multiples of those mistakes. And those are the small things that kill you. That's why you lose a game that you can win by four. Now, I'm not even going to rag on the fact that he shot three for eight. I thought he was good. Or that's three for eight from three. He was five of 22 from the field. I'm not even going to rag on that. He had seven assists. I thought he was good at creating stuff (laughs) for his shooters out of. You know, he was good at getting into the post and then creating stuff out of that, right, for his teammates. So I'll live with the 5 for 22. I'm not even going to be mad at that. But what I am going to be mad at is the lackluster defense. I thought Brunson, too, he was not particularly good in this game. But, you know, he the effort was there on defense. I could see it on defense. I didn't see it from Randall. You know, I saw the effort from defense on from Barrett, and, you know, he was producing on offense. Now, wasn't particularly pretty for him either, but, you know, 8 for 20 is a lot better than 5 for 22. So, I don't know. I think this Knicks team, I have them projected as a home court in the first round team. I think that there's a lot of people who project they're under. I don't like that. I think that they're a team. Oh, and by the way, quickly, <laughs> quickly in the Villanova boys, um, DiVincenzo and Hart, they really showed me a lot last night. DiVincenzo was over from the field, but I, all, I just like their energy. This Knicks bench showed why. It's really good and really deep. And now you can't trust on the Knicks to shoot 18 for 41 every game for three or 44% from three. But also, I'm not going to bank on them shooting. So if you take out that 18 for 41, they were 18 for 56 from two. So let's do some quick math. That's less than 33% off the bat. I know that. So let's do the exact percentage because I'm going to guess that's 31% from two. 32.1% from two. So Porzingis, to come back to him, just completely dominated the paint. There were possessions where they would just, the Knicks would just throw stuff up inside and try to get stuff up on the rim. And it just, Porzingis was just too tall. It didn't matter. I would wager to guess that it's not going to be that way against every single dominant rim protector. But they need to shoot better inside. Or get to floater range. I thought one of the things that quickly did that was good in this game. He was getting to that little in-between area. There was one play he had in particular. Brunson drove to the paint and kicked it out to quickly on the wing. Quickly then drives, gets a foot inside the paint, but pulls up at the elbow. And I was like, that's just like, man, that's just what you need against a rim protector like this. You don't always need to get like to the heart of the paint, but you can, you know, those little elbow jumpers. It's like kind of a lost art in today's NBA where you can keep the defense honest that way. Especially with a guy like Quickly, who I had 24 points last night, um, six rebounds, four assists. He was amazing. Five of six from the um, free throw line, five of seven from three. So I think, you know, having a guy like that really, really helps in that situation. Um, again, I think the Knicks will be good, you know, my Knicks, but I want to see, I just want to see more, you know, and I think this team is capable of more. Everyone who's listened to this podcast knows I have a ton of R.J. Barrett stock. Um, I thought he was the only one who could kind of figure out Porzingis. Like, he got those little touch layups that he can do over him. 
I just thought he was really good in that game, and I want to give him his flowers. Um, so let's go ahead and move on. I'm going to go ahead and do my awards first. So MVP, I kind of already talked about it. I think there's three ways. Well, let's go two ways because the second door has two options, but same variable pretty much. So door A is going to be the new person. And I think the new person will be Jason Tatum if they choose him. Because the Celtics have the opportunity to be awesome this year. Um, They're so loaded. (laughs) Well, let me say it. Their top six is incredibly talented. One of the best six I think I've ever seen. And I know it's not really deep after that, but still, they have the opportunity, I think, to win over 55 games quite easily. So I'll take that opportunity with... You know, Tatum having another awesome season. He's really had, what, three awesome seasons in a row now? Maybe four? And I think that, you know, new blood, Celtics are awesome, and they're going to kind of, the voters are going to kind of go away from this trend of, okay, this, the MVP needs to be, I don't know, actually, let me say this. I don't know the last time the MVP was the best player on the first seed. I think it was Giannis in 2020. Because we've kind of gone away from that a little bit. Like, that used to be, like, the end-all, be-all. Like, okay, it's the best player on the first seed was the MVP. Um, Wasn't always the case, but usually it was like, okay, so let's just go through the last, you know, 15 years. Or let's go through since 2010. Um, LeBron in 10, or LeBron in 10 won however many games with the Cavs. I think 60-plus with the Cavs. Derrick Rose in 2011, 60-plus with the Bulls. LeBron in 12 and 13, dominant with the Heat. Um, 13, they were 27 games in a row, first seed. And I think in 12, they were... They weren't the first seed, but they were the second seed and pretty dominant that year. In 2014, Katie was the second seed without Russell Westbrook. Kind of starting a little bit of a trend, but, you know, also they were the second seed. So you could kind of justify it that way. 15 and 16, Steph and the Warriors, they were first seed both years. And they both did 67 and 73 games. So pretty easy to justify. Then 17 comes. Russell Westbrook wins the MVP, winning 47 games. And this is where, and being the sixth seed. And this is where everything started to change. Because before, that guy would not have sniffed the MVP. Everyone had just been like, wow, what a great season. And to be fair... To Russ, because Russ, I in my heart of hearts, he was the MVP that year. But I think him winning the MVP flipped the narrative around that award. And in my honest opinion, I think it's probably the worst thing that could have happened to the MVP discourse because now it's just like, oh, yeah, but now look at Embiid. Embiid has Harden. Oh, Embiid. Jokic has Jamal Murray, whatever. Instead of what it should be like, oh, Michael Jordan had Scottie Pippen for four of his, I think all five of his MVPs. Now, Scottie wasn't Scottie for all of those, but still, point notwithstanding. It shouldn't matter who your teammates is. If you're that good, <laughs> you're still the MVP. But so then let's just go through it. Let's rip through it, the rest of it. Um, Harden, so you go on a three-year run where it is the first seed. Harden was the first seed in the West in 18, but then Giannis was the first seed in 19 and 20. Um, but you can still make that same argument with Giannis, like, Nobody was really buying into Chris Middleton back then, weirdly, as much as they are now. And in 18, you know, 18, 
it's kind of similar to what happened with Joel Embiid last year. Like, oh, Harden's been second so many times. <laughs> this guy just needs to win an MVP now. And it just ha- so happened he had a great year that year, but he was bound to win one eventually. 21, Jokic was the third seed. Um, and I think he would have been the third seed no matter what that year, if I'm not mistaken. I don't think they were the first seed when they rolled into L.A. and or when they rolled into Golden State and Jamal Murray hurt himself. And then 22, Jokic was the sixth seed. And he won MVP. Last year, Embiid was the third seed and won MVP. My my thing is, I think if you overcome great circumstances to win MVP, that's fantastic. But I don't think at the same time that should be the narrative. I think the narrative should be, wow, this team was dominant. I, I think it should be a confluence of factors, right? I think a lot of times what happens is that the narrative gets muddled due to a lot of factors, you know, media are people too. So I think the right guy won ultimately. I'd say the right guy won the last six years, the last eight years. I mean, really, I can't pick a hole in any of the last. I don't know. You could probably, there's a lot of people who could pick holes in any of the last, any of those MVPs I named. I won't, but you could. And some of them are maybe not chosen for the right reasons. <laughs> like, I don't think Jokic in 22 was chosen for maybe the right reason. But it was, you know, a phenomenal season and he deserved recognition for it. But at the same time, you know, I think what happens is, like, you not having good enough teammates becomes the narrative. And that's what I don't like. That's what I don't care for. And so I'm. If Tatum wins this year, it'll be reclaiming the narrative of, oh, just a great guy on a dominant team. No other subliminal narratives. Finally winning out again. And I think the league needs that. You know, we need to just celebrate greatness rather versus rather than what a person is not succeeding with, if that makes sense. So I'll take Tatum as one of my choices, but then I'll also take Jokic and Giannis for my other two choices. And here's the logic behind those. Um, the one thing that the media will do as well <laughs> is they'll punish a guy for not succeeding. And then they'll reward him for succeeding after that case. I'll give you three examples. So you got LeBron in 2011, you got Giannis in 2021 and you got Jokic in 2023. Okay. What happened? What happened in literally all those cases, those guys had won two MVPs previous, okay? They lost in embarrassing fashion the year before in the playoffs. Um, let's just, you know, LeBron to the Mavericks in 2011, okay? Then you have Giannis lost to the, would that have been the Celtics series? No, that would have been, who'd they lose to in 2020? I can't remember. Was that the Heat? They lost to the Heat. That's right, build a wall. Um... They lost to the Heat in 2020, and then the Nuggets lost to the Suns in 2022, right? Or no, it was the Warriors. Now, that one wasn't as embarrassing so much as it was, you know, okay, this guy hasn't done it in the playoffs. Why is he, you know, a three-time consecutive MVP? Which, fair, I don't think that anyone necessarily, the last one guy to do it was Larry Bird. <laughs> so if you, that's the logic you're approaching it from, that's fair. But also, if the guy's the most valuable player in the league, like LeBron should have probably won five MVPs in a row. And this is coming from a guy who's who grew up on Derrick Rose. 
LeBron probably should have won. LeBron was that era. LeBron literally is this whole era of basketball. This The NBA right now owes where it is to LeBron James. Now, the past NBA owed where it is to Michael Jordan. But this current iteration of the NBA would not be where it is without LeBron James. So I don't think it's ridiculous to say he was the most valuable player in the league. LeBron was the most valuable player in the league from 2000, let's say, 5 till 2000, 2021, I'll say. Or 2020, let's say 2020. And then after that, it started to fall off. But he, you could have made a case he should have deserved MVP every single one of those years. And he didn't get it. I understand why. You know, you don't want to give it to the same guy every single year. But it's a little disingenuous to say he did not deserve (laughs) that one. And also the media were mad at him that year, too, because of how he handled the decision. And I still think he finished second um, because he was truly that dominant when he was in Miami. My contention is that that's the best version. The best version of LeBron is 2018 LeBron because he figured it all out and was just utterly destroying people. The second best version of LeBron is any of the Miami years, in my humble opinion. Um... Then Giannis in 2020 or 2021, you know, that flame out versus the, the heat, you know, everyone's like, oh, this guy might be a fraud. We don't want to give a fraud three MVPs in a row, goes out, beats the heat, <laughs> beats the Nets in a crazy seven game series. And then goes, what, 17 for 19 in an impressive game six versus the Suns, shuts up all the haters. And the last year, Jokic shuts up all the haters. So. They're not going to reward LeBron. LeBron's not winning MVP, especially he's not going to play over 30 minutes a game this year. That being said, I think the voters are going to want to make sure that both of those players are adequately represented with MVPs in history, right? Both of those guys. It's kind of crazy, by the way. We'll look back on it. Katie only has one MVP. Curry will only have two. (laughs) And those are going to be like the defining guys of their generate the mvp thing is like when you think about the greatest of all time every one single one of them should have more but yet somehow it makes sense like magic only has five when you think about it he should probably have like seven or eight kareem only has six when you think about it he should probably have like nine or ten but then mj only has five he should probably have like nine or ten as well so it's just kind of crazy when you think about the distribution of the all-time greats but anyway i would wager that those guys each between the two of them, they'll get at least one more MVP. And they probably want it to come sooner rather than later because they will be exiting their primes <laughs> sooner rather than later. And if I had to pick one of those two, I'd pick Giannis over Jokic because I don't think Jokic will care about this regular season as much as Giannis will. I think Jokic maybe will coast in the regular season. I could be wrong, but I, I think that this will be the year where... um. We're, and I, outside looking in candidate, because Caleb, I put out a tweet earlier saying Tatum was a dark horse candidate. He objected to my use of the word dark horse, which fair. I, I'll, I'll concede to him that's fair. But an outside looking in candidate, I don't think people are picking this guy as much. I don't know. I'm not looking at the odds. If the Warriors are a top three seed... I think Curry could get one more on his way out. And I think that that could be a guy where people want to reward him on his way out. I think that's actually a good transition into my tears. So let's go ahead and um, talk about the best teams in the league. Let's, let's start with the 
I'm going to go championship and then I'm going to go could win a championship if everything breaks right. And then we'll go from there. So championship contenders. I mean, it's pretty obvious who the top four. I think there's four real clear cut championship contenders. I think you got in the East, the Bucks and the Celtics. I think really out of the East, those are the only two teams that could win. Unless Philly swings a massive trade, I don't think that's going to help them because I think Embiid... One thing about the Power Hour ending last year is that I did not get a chance to rip Embiid properly. He was... Listen, man. (laughs) He really needs to prove it in the playoffs this year because this is not painting a good picture playoff-wise for him. That's all I'll say. I'll I'll be nice um, because I really want him to succeed, but man, it's, it's not looking pretty for him. So... I think those are the only two teams that could win it out of the East. And then I'll take Phoenix and Denver out of the West. And those are my four clear-cut contenders. I think those four teams kind of stand above the rest in terms of who is actually good in the league. Now, the next tier, I think the Lakers and the Warriors could win things if things break great. You know, they have a ton of championship experience on their teams. Um, the Lakers looked really good last year in last year's playoffs. Um, they looked really good. They looked pretty good on Monday against the or Tuesday against the Lakers or against the Nuggets. <laughs> I really um, botched that sentence there. They looked really good on Tuesday against the Lakers. So I think that's one thing they have going for them is that, hey, you know, we can be. I'm trying to find the right way to phrase this. We have the experience of making it far last year. We got better. We improved around the the margins this year. You know, Vincent was a. I thought Vincent was a great signing for them. So it's just going to be interesting to see how they go through this season, um, especially trying to manage LeBron's load. You know, trying to load manage LeBron. That's probably a better way to phrase that. Um, in a new way versus how they were doing it the last couple of years. And then the Warriors. You know, all that championship experience. In the East, I'll throw the, the Sixers in this category just out of throwing them a bone. You know, they don't really deserve it. They've, they have, still haven't made a conference finals. <laughs> you would think a team this talented with an MVP winner, a guy who's deserved to win the MVP the last four years, would have been in this category, like, would be a shoe in for the contender category, especially with how deep their team is, even without James Harden. But man, it's just rough for them. And then, you know, I'm not going to throw any other East teams in this category. I'll say, yeah, I'm not going to really throw any other, any other teams in this category. So then I have my playoff locks. And I'll throw the Cavs, the Knicks, the Kings, the Marty at. See, I'll throw the Cavs, the Knicks, the Kings in this tier. I really like all those teams to avoid the play-in. I think those teams are solid, play solid, def- like play solid on whatever side of the ball they excel at. Because the Kings are not a great defensive team, but I think the Knicks, you know, barring health, obvi- barring a health catastrophe, catastrophe for all those teams, they should all be, you know, in the mix for being, you know, forty-five to fifty wins, pretty solid. But I don't think they they have what it takes to get over that second round hump. I think they're still, you know, I mean, the Kings were pretty close, but I, I think the Kings 
I'll say this on the record. I think I said it last season. I think the Kings would have gotten killed by the Lakers last year. Um, I don't. Th- I think that was a terrible matchup for them. And because I thought the Warriors were the perfect matchup for them, just because of their lack of punishing size, and even Looney killed them. So if Looney killed them, <laughs> and AD killed Looney by transitive property, you know the transitive property property thing is kind of a joke in college football. But that by transitive property, AD would have killed the <laughs> killed the Kings there. I feel pretty comfortable saying that. Um. So then, after that, it's going to be kind of a grab bag. So play in locks. Okay, so in this tier, I have the... So I have the Heat, the Hawks, the Pacers, and the Magic in the East. And then in the West, I have the Grizzlies, Thunder, Pelicans, and Wolves. So by nature, if you guys noticed, I did five teams for each conference already. Um... So one of these teams is going to make the playoffs. And truth be told, I don't know which of them will. But one of them in each conference, but one of them will. I, if I had to pick for the West, I think the Grizzlies will. I'll start in the West. I Here's my thing with the Grizzlies, okay? Yes, they're missing John Morant. But they're, the baseline is so solid for them of... Hey, we know how to play without Ja. We've, we're used to playing without Ja. I think we talked about this on the back shoulder fade. I know we talked about this on the back shoulder fade with Zach when he said he values the Thunder more highly than the Grizzlies. Um, just because I think you have the team that is going to play hard every night. Now, I'll say losing Steven Adams is going to be a huge hit for them. Their big man rotation is really, really... Um, it's really, really thin right now. Thankfully, I know a team that's holding on to a $12 million big man <laughs> out of the uh, Drew Holiday trade. Um, hello, Trailblazers. Would you like a uh, lightly used John Conchar? Um, there's ways to improve around the margins, right? Especially because you're not going to get Steven Adams back. That's going to be pretty tough. And you need... In the regular season, you do need center production. That's one thing for sure. So I still think they can fight their way to 45. Um, The Thunder, I think, would be a higher play in, as well as the Wolves. I think those two teams are going to fight really hard. And then the Pelicans are just too talented. Every year, somehow, they always make the play in. Um, Even though they're injury riddled, even though they're whatever. So I'll pick those teams. And then in the East... The Heat are coming off a finals run, but, you know, they lost Struess and Vincent. Those two guys were huge for them. And then I think the Pacers and Magic are due for big-time bumps. I really do. Now, the Pacers gave up 120 points to the Wizards yesterday, (laughs) which might be a cause for concern. But at the same time, um, Tyrese Halliburton's awesome. Adding Bruce Brown is awesome. The Hawks, I think, are a really solid team always. And there's just a lot to like. And, you know, the magic. Having Paolo Bancaro and Franz Wagner for another year, um, they should each take a massive jump. Suggs, you know, hopefully this is the year he finally breaks out. They have a lot of pieces down there in Orlando. So we're going to see what they're made of. And so let's go to, you know, the fighting for the play in range. Let's start in the east. So this is going to be. 
let's say Brooklyn, Chicago, Toronto, and we'll throw the we'll throw the Pistons in there in the East, and then in the West. Oh man, <laughs> this is um it's gonna be Caleb's team, the Jazz. This is probably gonna be the Mavericks. We probably should lead with them. And man, this is um this is slim pickings down here. Um, the Clippers. <laughs> and I, I think this is going to be the end of that range in the West because I'm not really enamored with any of these teams. So let's start with the I'll start with the Jazz. I'm just all the way out on the Jazz. I think this team will finish in 12th place in the West. Um, They have too many desperate pieces, not a true point guard. So where is the flow coming from? You know, who's the organizer? Who's going to be the one who gets them on track? I'm I'm just all the way out on them. The Clippers. Historically, they probably should be in probably the second group. I can't trust them. I just can't. And until they prove that I can trust them, I'm they're going to be down here. And then the Mavs, their defense. <laughs> um, it's brutal. They're one of the worst defensive teams in the league, probably. So... Yeah, it's it's bad. Um, I'll pity throw the Spurs in here because there's a chance, but I don't see them. No, I'll save the Spurs for the next year down. And so let's go back to the East. I'll start with the Nets again. Another team I'm all the way out on. <sighs> Listen, they have a ton of this team is just a bunch of dudes. OK, they have dudes who would help out other players, but they don't have a dude, if that makes sense. They don't have like. They need a son for all their stars. To, and this isn't like stars and like, oh, they're star players. No, these are like stars in a solar system. They need a son for all their stars to orbit around. And they don't have one right now. And we kept hearing all this stuff in the preseason. Oh, Ben Simmons looks great. Ben Simmons looks great. Last night, nine points. Same old, same old. You know, I think he's not going to be that guy he was, you know, ever in Philadelphia ever again. I think that's done. You know, his second or second or third year in the league, he was a truly special player. And I just think that's not in the cards for him. You know, it's kind of, it was it's not kind of like Tyreek Evans. It's exactly what happened to Tyreek Evans. He was really good his rookie year and then just kind of like all the way downhill, you know. So it's really unfortunate to watch. Um, I'll go with the Raptors next, a team that's been accused of being my team, but not actually my team. I. Tuned into a little bit of their game last night, and I kind of flipped around the association a little bit, not like the whole thing. Um, I have to say two things to watch for for this team that might make them, me put them in the play in locks. If Scotty Barnes' ball skills and shooting are real, then that's one thing to monitor. And also, the, it looks like their offense is actually running plays now. It's another thing to monitor. You know, you're actually getting movement off the sets you know, running Gary Trent Jr. off of screens rather than just having him spot up. Presses the Chua caught like five lobs in the first quarter. If you're getting that kind of movement, I can really respect that. The Bulls, let me just say this. Is it bad <laughs> that you have a players-only meeting after the first game of the season? There's a lot of teams. The Rockets, for instance, they lost by 30 last night. Did they have a players-only meeting? Nope. 
<laughs> the Bulls only lost by 17 to the Thunder, a team that is objectively better than they are. And they had a players-only meeting last night. That is concerning. Um, And then the Pistons, I'm throwing them in this tier. They're definitely the last team in this tier. They, they could vacillate between both of them. You can make a case they're better than the Nets and the Jazz. I'm not going to make that case just yet, although they did punch the heat in the face last night. Um, Their history shows that might just be a blip on the radar. I'm not going to give... They don't deserve the benefit of the doubt until they actually see it. So, even though I did pick the Pistons over, I think the the over was only like 27 and a half. So, it's not like, you know... (laughs) It's not like anything earth-shattering, you know, to say that I think they're not going to be an awful team. I just don't think they're going to be a particularly good team. Um, And now on to the dregs of the league, the worst five teams in the league. I will not rank them in order, but the Washington Wizards, let's just start with them. I, for power, for non-power hour purposes, I would guess I will not watch a second of Wizards basketball this year. They want to talk about a collection of guys. This is like the Nets problem, except if they were all worse. (laughs) Except DeLon Wright. I love DeLon Wright. Um, in actual serious analysis, I think Blanco Labali could be an interesting prospect to watch, but I, you know, I want to see it. But, you know, that's whatever. We need to see it still. Um, the Houston Rockets, they added a bunch of guys. I think they could be better record-wise than some of the... I think they probably have the best chance record-wise to be... They have the chance record-wise to be better than all these teams that I'm going to mention. They have a lot, They added a lot of vets. You know, Van Vliet, Dylan Brooks, Jack Landale, Jeff Green. Um, Got rid of Kevin Porter Jr. in an unfortunate situation. I just think, you know, if they get to 27 wins... That's 10 more wins than they got last year. I think that's pretty successful. And if Jalen Green shows signs of growth, Amen Thompson shows signs of growth, they need to grow. That's what they really need. I know the problem is, is they want to win this year, right? They want to make the play in because they owe the top four, I think, protected pick to Oklahoma City. You're not going to win this year. It's fine. You need to accept reality. But if you show signs of growth and you've traded for enough first round picks over the years, you're going to be able to replenish your youth still. It's not like at the point where, oh, you know, we're we're stuck. You have two potential stars in Shangun and Jalen Jalen Green. So whatever, take a swing. The Spurs also have a chance to be the best team out of this group. But I think I don't know who's gonna be better between the Spurs and the Rockets. <laughs> um also, I forgot Reggie Bullock on the Rockets as well. So that's going to be interesting to see. They have a lot of good bets on their team, but the Spurs, I talked about them earlier. They have a lot of good young talent. They also have a lot of not good young talent. So I think they need to probably be, I think it would be in their best interest to be bad for another year. And then we'll see the Portland trailblazers. Um, will be not good once again. Um, Scoot Henderson, first year of a rebuild. This is their first true rebuilding year. Gosh, when was the last time the Blazers actually went and tried to rebuild? It's been a while. Because they were bad in 2011-2012. But they weren't that bad. I think they were, because they still had LaMarcus Aldridge. They still had Batum, Wes Matthews. Um, they were trying to compete that year. They were just bad. So the last time they were outright trying to be bad, I couldn't even tell you. 
It was probably in the mid 2000s when they were getting Brandon Roy and Martel Webster. Oh, I don't think they drafted Martel Webster. Um, you'll have to, someone will have to fact check me later on. Um, if I got anything wrong, by the way, send it to at Caleb Lynn one on Twitter. Um, but the Blazers are going to be bad. I'm going to be interested to see what they do with their backcourt this season. You need to see, you know, who's going to be out of their trifecta. I would personally go with Henderson and Sharp. I think those are going to be the two guys you go with in the future. And, you know, Simons, I think there's a market for Simons. I think you could get maybe not like what you got for Dame. You could get something for him. I think he'd be better. I think the relationship would be better served if you let him go somewhere else. And then last but not least, the Charlotte Hornets. Um, first of all, what they're doing with Miles Bridges is just flat despicable. Um, listen, man. He should have been cut. I know for legal reasons, they probably couldn't. I don't, I don't even know why he's still on their roster. I don't know why they re-signed him to the qualifying offer. I don't know. All I know is it's just really disappointing to me that he's still on their roster and that, you know, he's still a Charlotte Hornet. It doesn't seem like there's going to be any repercussions to him um, throwing, allegedly throwing rocks at his wife's car with the child in the car. Um, or let me just say his baby mother's car. I said wife. Um, allegedly. So that's not a good look for the Hornets. The cut it releasing Kai Jones and keeping him on your roster. I I don't know where you get off, honestly. But you know what I I, I mean really. Everyone understands where they get off, right? If we're just going to be honest about it with ourselves, you know, he's a real talented player. He ever, he was real. If I'm going to be honest again, I had him in my top 75 on my top 100 um, in 2022 before all this stuff came out. And then I took him off because in good conscience, I was like, I'm not going to rank a guy who did all that stuff. And he was amazing in 2022. He was one of their best. He was probably their best player that season. And so I understand why, you know, hey, this guy's amazing. We want to bring him back. But at the same time, it's not worth it. What kind of message are you sending by keeping him on your roster? But anyway, before I get too mad at the Hornets, um, they have an intriguing young roster. PJ Washington looked great last night. Just absolutely splendid. Gordon Hayward still doing Gordon Hayward things. Um, Lamelo Ball. Hopefully, he takes a step forward. Maybe there's a chance they're not in this group. I doubt it, but maybe there's a chance. I I would again. I think there's wins to be had in the East, and I think the wins will be coming at their expense mostly. Now they did beat the Hawks last night, but there are 81 more games left to play. <laughs> For instance, the 2012 Bobcats beat nine teams, or sorry, seven teams. The 2000. 10 New Jersey Nets beat 10 teams. They lost 72 times. They still won 10 games. So one win out of 82, you know, one loss out of 82 doesn't really mean Jack in my opinion. So, well, I thought that was a pretty riveting return to the power hour there. Um, a lot of stuff to break down um, next week. Just a reminder, our teams are going to be the Magic and the Hornets. 
um, in addition to our weekly next segment now. So make sure you're checking that out. Um, make sure you're checking out the uh, other offerings on the Running Hook Podcast Network. Make sure you're listening to Back Shoulder Fade with Caleb Lynn and Zach Griffith. Make sure you're listening to Lynn Sanity with Caleb Lynn and Bryce Shaddy. Caleb Lynn all over the Running Hook Podcast Network. Make sure you're listening to um, Circle City Cinema with Zach Griffith. And, you know, folks, um, sorry for the long hiatus. <laughs> Life happened. Um, next week. I'll be back, hopefully, you know, with a co-host. Um, maybe not a permanent one, but, you know, someone to bounce some ideas off of. And I just want to thank everyone so much for listening. <laughs>